Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talking 313. This is your host, Ben, and I've got Brett here with me today. How's it going? Uh, so today we got a lot in store. A lot happened this weekend. We got to talk about some Michigan-Michigan State hoops, uh, a little bit of a Tigers trade, some Lions, and maybe a little bit about the NFL playoffs at the end. We're going to start it off with the Michigan-Michigan State basketball. Um, as you guys all know, should know, they played each other last Sunday or Saturday. Sunday or Saturday. Yeah. Last weekend, they played each other. And uh, Michigan State won 59-53. It was kind of a horrific performance from Michigan shooting-wise, three for 20 from uh, from three-point land. And they kind of just struggled offensively. Michigan State played well defensively. Nothing to take away from there. Uh, Brett, what, do you, what did you make of this game? Uh, I think it was just a terrible game efficiently for Michigan. I think they just struggled to keep it together. Like you said, three for 20 from three, I think that's just – terrible you gotta make your shots and if you're not making shots can't do anything i agree it was kind of it was weird to see because i felt like michigan really didn't play bad like i feel like a lot of the shots they had were good shots they, they just shots. yeah they just exactly they couldn't make shots for michigan i think on the michigan side of things it was really just they cannot make anything and and that's kind of weird because this Michigan team, like last year, they were terrible from three, terrible shooting wise. But this year, I feel like they've been they've been pretty good. Not not necessarily a great three point shooting team, but not not a bad three point shooting team. I feel like throughout the year, and I think that they kind of just everything fell apart in this game. And and you're gonna have nights like that. It just kind of sucks that it's against Michigan State. And uh, kind of talking about the Michigan State side of things, not really to take away anything from them, like because they still beat us and they still played some solid defense and they made the shots when they need to make shots. I feel like. Uh, what do you think about from the Michigan State side of things? Uh, I mean, I think overall they're a solid basketball team. I don't think they've got, you know, one guy. They don't have a Cassius, Cassius Winston type guy, that one guy that's going to carry the team. But I think overall as a team, uh, they're well-rounded and have that depth to you know, maybe be consistent and beat a team like that. For sure, I agree. I think uh, Tyson Walker is kind of blossoming into maybe their best player. He's no, no, as you said, Cassius Winston. He's no star player that's going to be like a highlight guy, like stuff like that. But I think he's probably the guy that that when when Izzo needs a shot, he's probably going to be the guy they rely on. And uh, he played really well against Michigan. Was a big part of the way or the reason they won that game. I feel like uh, I also feel AJ Hoggard's kind of blossoming into a little bit of a point guard. Um, he's just kind of. Like Tyson Walker was supposed to be the point guard, but I feel like AJ Hogger has been taking the ball up more, and I feel like he controlling the ball, passing the ball has just really been uh, a very good asset for Michigan State, and just kind of a guy that kind of you know facilitates the whole entire thing. And I think has been huge for Michigan State wise. Um, but Michigan State after this game, following up this game, they went to Wisconsin. And at Wisconsin, they beat them 69-65. So that's a really good win for Michigan State. Uh, they also did this without uh, – they played Wisconsin. Wisconsin was out one of their top two scorers, Tyler Wall. Uh, what did you make of that 69-65 win for Sparty? Well, you know, uh, I think Michigan State's pretty hot right now. They've won their last seven games straight. So I think, you know, like you said, uh, they had Wisconsin had that guy out, but I think – even without that, uh, regardless, Michigan State's still really hot right now. A dangerous basketball team that maybe don't want to play. I agree. I think uh, Michigan State, kind of the way they've been playing right now, is is looking towards being one of those Big Ten contenders to, to win the Big Ten. 
with the likes of like Purdue and really it's Purdue is probably the favorite right now. But I think the way Michigan State's been playing lately, they have to be in the conversation for that, uh, winning uh, all of their last seven games. Uh, some things to highlight from this Wisconsin game is, is Hauser had 20-point game. That's that's huge for them. If, if they're going to have Joey Hauser making shots, this is going to be a dangerous team. Because if you have him making shots on the perimeter, being able to do stuff off the dribble, and then you also have the way Tyson Walker's been playing, A.J. Hoggard being facilitator. You have Malik Hall, who's a really good post presence. And then you have Matty Sissoko, who's like of that center that every team like really wants that kind of just grinds. And, you know, maybe Matty Sissoko isn't really the score that Michigan State fans expect him to be. But the way he's been playing, you, you have to give him credit for uh, – just he, he's really kind of just a gritty guy where he just is going to fight through everything. He's going to he's going to tough it out. And I think this Michigan State team is not necessarily deep, but it's just there's a lot of, of talent there. And I think that the thing that that is really good for them is they don't have to rely on one guy like they can they can play without a great Tyson Walker game and still have a good performance. They can play without a good or a great Molly Call, Matty Sissoko, AJ Hoggart, like one of those guys can be off and the production from the other four, I think is just going to help them out. And it's, it's almost like depth in the starting lineup because there's not a ton of depth outside of it, but I feel like the depth in the starting lineup is, is going to be big for them. What do you think about uh, state tournament wise? Where do you think their ceiling is? Um, ceiling. I mean, I think, I think this next week, Watching them play Purdue on Monday is going to be a big tell for that. See how they stack up against a solid team like that. If they, I mean, I believe Purdue still ranked the number one team in the country right now. I think so, yeah. Um, I think if they can pull that off and beat them, I think, I mean, Ceiling is one of the top seeds in the tournament, but I think that game will be a big tell for what their potential is. For sure. So kind of going into that, they play Illinois uh, at Illinois tonight, Friday night, and then they go to Purdue or they play at home against Purdue on Monday. I think both of those games are going to be huge for Big Ten play because Illinois is, you know, one of those tougher places to play in the Big Ten. And Illinois is very, very streaky team. But winning at Illinois is going to be a tough ask. And if they can do that and then go into Purdue with, you know, eight wins, eight straight wins, and they uh, if, even if they play Purdue tough, I think that this state team is a team that, that is probably a, a second weekend type team I think they could make a lead eight they can make sweet 16 you know maybe if things fall the right way maybe in a final four the way they've been playing lately and uh I just think this this state team has really been on a roll lately and they're kind of they're working their way really well and they're kind of getting hot at the right time going into big 10 play and it was uh it was definitely disappointing as a Michigan fan to to see them beat us and then go out and beat Wisconsin and kind of just be absolutely rolling right now. But you got to give credit where credit's due. But kind of going back to that that Michigan team, uh, they lost last night at Iowa, 93-84. It took overtime for Iowa to win this. Jet Howard had 34 points. Uh, Michigan played really well from the offensive side of the ball, had some struggles defensively at times. What, what did you make of this game? Uh, I think this game – you know, they did lose, like you said, but I think it kind of showed their potential of what they can be. I think Jet Howard really, that was, I mean, he, he, like you said, he had a career high, 34 points. He went seven for 13 from three. I think, you know, he got really hot at the start of the game. I think he had what, 11 or something like that, straight points. I think it really showed, you know, when he's on, what he can really do. And I think if you can continue to get, you know, you're not going to get that production from him every night. 
but if you can get something like that where he can, you know, take over a game for a bit and dominate, uh, I think that's just dangerous. I agree. I think if, if Jet Howard's going to play like that, this Michigan team is going to be a team that's not going to lose to a lot of uh, a lot of Big Ten opponents. Uh, going into Iowa is always tough. It was a really good environment at Iowa and Kinnick, and uh, they, I mean, they, they played well. Michigan, I felt like offensively, um, didn't really play through Hunter Dickinson. I know a big storyline was with the announcers wise is they were talking about how Michigan wasn't, uh, they wouldn't be able to keep up this pace of play and play with Iowa. And and really, I thought that they did. And almost when they tried to slow the ball down at the end of the game was kind of when things kind of started to fall apart for Michigan, I feel like. I feel like when they were kind of going fast paced, it was just, it's just the way that they were playing lately. I feel like you have to ride the hot streak and and they were they're playing really well moving at a fast pace getting down the court up and down the court and i think that's how michigan needs to play i think another thing that you can talk about from this game is how the success of playing hunter dickinson and Terrence reed at the same time is going to be a big thing for this team because if you've been watching this michigan basketball team they haven't played Terrence reed and hunter dickinson at the same time really at all this year and then you start to see that big lineup go in and honestly they were playing fast pace with the big lineup and it was working the only downside to it was that you had to put Terrace Reed on a stretch four, and that's going to be a problem at times. Like you're going to have to have help on that. You're going to have to have help defense. But I think the more they work that lineup with Dickinson and Reed, I think that lineup is going to be something that's going to be really, really tough for other teams to guard. Just having both of those two big presences and the paint. Uh, I think that that they're uh, they're playing a lot better than they did at the start of the year. I agree, but you can't just just keep banking on these. Oh well, they're playing better. Like you had got to come through with some of these wins. You got to come through with some W's, especially sitting at nine and seven. So going kind of into that nine and seven thing, do you think this team's a tournament team? I think this team has the potential to be a tournament team. I think, like you said, it doesn't matter how much you know. You can say, oh, well, this is looking good. You have to, at some point that has to start uh, translating to wins. And I think, you know, they definitely have the, the, the potential to be a tournament team. I think if they, like you said, ride, you know, what's working for them and figure that out and keep rolling, I think they definitely have the uh, potential to be a tournament team. You know, uh, nine and seven, not a great record. But again, last year we were nine and seven, went to the Sweet 16. So I don't think I'd rule out anything at this point, though. I agree. I don't think you can rule out anything with this Michigan team. I think it's going to be a very tough road to get to the tournament. Like you're going to have to win some tough games. You're going to probably have to win one of those games against Purdue. You're going to have to have uh, probably both against Ohio State. You're going to have to win at Chrysler when you play Michigan State again. You're going to have to win those big games to get yourself to the tournament, kind of what they did last year is they won those big games that they needed to win down the stretch. And I think that uh, this team's going to have to do that. Whatever it's going to be to motivate these guys to get them to just get over that hump where they're just like they're they're riding right below a good team, I feel like right now. And if they just get over the hump and become a good team, I think that they that the tournament is definitely in sights, especially with the talent that is in this Big Ten. I feel like that's going to really help them out. Like you look at this league and the Big Ten and like every single team has a good, you know, like a good resume, not, I mean, Nebraska six and eight, Minnesota six and nine, whatever they are, you can say, oh, well, they're not very good, but still you look at their wins. Minnesota just went out and they beat uh, Ohio state at Ohio state last night. And Nebraska played Purdue close to the very end of the game and almost beat a Rutgers team that just beat 
Purdue. So, I mean, you look at those games and and those teams, and I feel like all of these Big Ten teams are, are going to be good wins for Michigan if they win. There's no really bad loss, which I think could really help them down the stretch. Looking into who they've got next, they play Northwestern on Sunday at home, and then they travel to Maryland on Thursday. What do you think of those two games, Brett? Uh, you know what? I think this is the time where you got to start becoming more consistent. I think you got to bounce back from these past couple games. I think you got to get a couple wins, get your confidence back up, and start, you know, you got to be more consistent. And yeah. I think that this two game stretch is going to be huge for the Wolverines. I think that Northwestern is a team that's been very up and down all year. They've had uh, some very, very high ups beat a Michigan State team, they have they have some good wins, but they also have some low lows where they lost to Nebraska. They've, they've done stuff like that. And I think that they're going to have to play well against this Northwestern team and win at home, especially if they want to have any chance of making the tournament. I think that this two-game stretch, you want to get both of them. And I think you feel pretty confident about going to Maryland just because of the way Hunter Dickinson plays against Maryland. You know, Mark Turgeon isn't there anymore, so it's, it's not necessarily – doesn't necessarily make sense why he still <laughs> hates Maryland, right. but but part of him still hates Maryland so much just because they turn him down, even though the coach that turned him down isn't still there anymore. So he just kind of goes off, as you saw last time they played Maryland, 32 at the Chrysler. Yep. And I think if, if they get these two games and are sitting at 11 and 7, then this team is is definitely in a good spot to make the tournament, and they, they're going to have to catch fire here at the end. All right, so I know it's not baseball season, but I'm going to do a quick little segment here on the Tigers because they just made a recent move in the offseason. They traded away their closer, Gregory Soto, and Cody Clemens, a infielder who got a little time in the majors last year, has been really a minor league player for the past couple years, the son of Roger Clemens, which is kind of a cool story, but you know, not necessarily the same talent Roger Clemens had. Uh, they traded those two away to the Philadelphia Phillies, and got infielder Nick Matan and outfielder Matt Veerling, and then catcher Donnie Sands. Matan and Veerling have also uh, both seen time in the majors and have really been major league players for a little while here. Matan is a little younger than Veerling, whereas Donnie Sands is a catcher who is going to be a uh, prospect coming up in the system. Donnie Sands, you know, probably would be a guy that we'd uh, just lump in with a trade if we wanted to trade somebody away because we have uh, – Dylan Dingler coming up. We have Jake Rogers. We have a, we have good catching depth in the in the Tiger system, I think. And uh, so Donnie Sands is probably a guy that will be traded away at some point. But for Matt Veerling on the Tigers, I think he's going to be a good type of uh, plug-in guy. He's going to be a platoon player with uh, Akil Badu. I think that him and Badu in the outfield would be a nice like addition and Veerling even playing a little center field to get Riley Green into a corner because I think Riley Green's probably going to be a better outfielder playing a corner spot than he is in center just outfielding wise. He's a really good hitter, obviously, and don't want to take anything away from Riley Green, but you know, he's probably a better defender if he's playing a corner just because of his range. Whereas Veerling, you know, he's a little speedier. He can he can play a little center field. And I think the big piece of this trade for the Tigers, like the good part was getting Nick Matan. He, he's a young infielder who I think is kind of just going to be a plug-in guy wherever you need him, but he may start at third base. He may start at second base. It really just depends where they need him. And I think he's going to be a really, really good addition for the Tigers. He's he's young and he has a lot of potential to be a solid player for them. I think that uh, a lot of Tigers fans are going to look at this and be like, oh, we got three no-namers for our really good closer. 
And then obviously they're like, oh, well, it's Roger Clemens' son. But, I mean, Cody Clemens is, is probably not a guy that was going to be in the big leagues for very long. And Gregory Soto, even though he's under contract till 2025, you know, he, he was a guy that if you could get any type of value for him, you needed to. And I feel like they did. They got some good value. And, and a platoon outfielder that's going to help us out this year, a catcher that could be in our system for a little while for the future, and an infielder that, you know, maybe a piece of this team going into the future that, that could be a big piece. For the Tigers, so I, I I think this is a good trade for the Tigers. I think that I think that Scott Harris is going to take this uh, organization in the right direction. You know, a lot of Tigers fans are a little mad about the fact that uh, they haven't really made any moves this offseason. And you, you got to remember, Scott Harris is coming in here not just as a GM; he's coming up here as the president of baseball ops, of the Tigers. And so he he has a lot of like readjusting. He's trying to change like the complete infrastructure of this organization, getting rid of coaches, changing coaches. He's trying to just change this whole organization. And if there's anyone to trust to do that, it would be Scott Harris, the way he uh, changed the Giants organization. So I think you, you just got to believe in Scott Harris and what he's doing and just just hope for the best. I mean, this year may not be the prettiest year, but it, it could there's potential for them to be not terrible. So I think that you just have to trust what Scott Harris is doing and hope for the recent future that the Tigers are going to be a contender, maybe sometime soon. All right, so now we're going to get into the part of the show that I'm most excited about. It's talking a little Detroit Lions because, you know, it's really the only positive thing that has been going on in the city of Detroit lately, honestly. But uh, how about Dan the Man Campbell? I love the guy. I think, you know, uh, people were hyped about him coming into the season uh, with everything going on. Uh, the Oh, um the, <laughs> hard knocks, hard knocks that we got. Yep, hard knocks in Detroit. High on Dan Campbell. Then. Yep. I think uh, you know everybody was low on him in the middle of the season, starting off one and six. But I think at the end of the season here, I think it really showed uh, what we were expecting really from the start of the season. And I think you're uh, getting into this uh, winning record at the end of the season. I think finishing out as strong as we did. I think that's really what everybody expected from the start. And I'm glad we were able to get there. You know, at the end of the season. Yeah, what a roller coaster ride for Dan Campbell this year. You had the Hard Knocks hype uh, going into the year, that Commanders game they won, and you're just everybody's high on the lines, and all of a sudden one and six, and you're like, dude, is Dan Campbell the next coach of the Lions to to get fired? And everybody's kind of just questioning Dan Campbell, and then all of a sudden it just flips. I don't know what what flipped. I don't know what changed, but all of a sudden everything just just switched. They they got a little healthier. And, and they started winning some games, got all the way to nine and eight. And uh, that nine and eight was made because of a big win against the Packers. And Lions fans, I feel like, are going to forever remember this weekend for, for what it was and also what it wasn't kind of going into that. They aren't in the playoffs for, for many reasons, but just looking at week 18, you, you, you can kind of – you hate to blame the refs, but there's a lot to question in that Seattle game and the way that that was officiated, in the, especially in the fourth quarter and in overtime. There was a, a roughing the punter or running into the kicker, whatever it was called, that really, really should not have been. He was pushed into him and really, really flopped. And then there was intentional grounding that wasn't called on Geno Smith. Geno Smith ran into Jalen Ramsey, and they called a penalty on Jalen Ramsey for uh, unnecessary roughness. Then DK Metcalf, after that play was over, grabbed Jalen Ramsey's face mask and kind of threw him. And sure, Jalen Ramsey flopped like no one's business on it, but still, you can't grab a dude's face mask on the other team. That, like that, that should be an unnecessary roughness. It should at least offset 
and that really kind of got them into field goal range and 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 helped the Seahawks win, which if you didn't realize the, the reason why the Lions aren't in the playoffs right now is because the Seahawks won. If the Seahawks were to have lost that game, the Lions would uh, be preparing to play the 49ers right now in the uh, NFC wildcard game. And just just that game was kind of just a roller coaster of emotions. And there was so many ups and so many downs. And you thought Baker Mayfield you know, was going to do it for the Lions. You thought the Rams were going to do it for the Lions after they, they gave us Jared Goff. We gave him a Super Bowl. Like it's, it's time to even it out here. Let's even out the score, get us to the, get us to the playoffs. And it kind of just all fell apart there at the end. And then even with that, even with the Seahawks missed field goal going, like he had a field goal to win the game in regulation. And so then they give you this this last bit of false hope, which, you know, if you're a Lions fan, that false hope can get you. It gets you. And they miss that field goal, and then all of a sudden the Rams get a stop. Yep. And then they go three and out. And then the Seahawks drive down the field, and, and they, they kick a field goal, win the game, and you're kind of just deflated going into Monday night. And the players are going to say, oh, we didn't know what happened with that game, but but let's be real. They 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 knew exactly what happened with that game. They they knew they weren't going to be able to in the playoffs no matter what, and they still fought and fought and fought and 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 beat that Packers team. What what can you make of kind of just how that weekend unfolded? I think from the Lions' perspective, not looking at the Seattle game at all, I think they did everything right that they could have. I think, you know, they fought – even like you said, knowing they weren't going to be there in the playoffs, they still, you know, without that extra motivation, they still went out and performed. And I think that really says something about this team, about their character, about who they are. Um, I think even, you know, not having that motivation and still showing up and still doing your job instead of showing up completely deflated, I think, I mean, that gets me juiced for their future. A hundred percent. I'm, who, if you thought that the Lions were going to come into this game flat, you clearly have not been uh, paying attention to Dan Campbell and the Lions all year. This guy gets them motivated. If they could be two and fourteen going into their game, and and Dan Campbell would have them motivated to win that game, like going into the training camp, all the hard knock stuff, going into all that preseason games, like he gets them hyped no matter what, no matter what the. No matter what is going on, he he's really just kind of a motivator guy and and a great. I think he's he's definitely the coach of the future for the Lions. And a lot of people are looking at oh nine and eight is praise, but nine and seven for Jim Caldwell was was fireable offense. Here's here's the difference. Coming into this year, there was a lot of hype for the Lions. Sure, when Dan Campbell was hired, it was always expected you're going to suck year one. You're probably not going to be very good year two. Year three is going to be that wild card push, and he's a year ahead. He's a year ahead. Jim Caldwell went from nine and seven, and then you're expecting him to take a big jump and stayed at nine and seven. There was no improvement. I think the big thing with Dan Campbell is he's going to improve and improve and improve. And I think next year is going to be like a huge, huge year for the Lions. And that, that's kind of just talking about the Lions in general. But I guess we should probably get into the game that occurred on Sunday night, whereas uh, the Lions beat the Packers. And let's uh, give a little tribute to Jamal Williams because he got his 17th touchdown, which if you didn't know, broke Barry Sanders record who had the single season touchdown record at 16. Now sure we play one more game and it did take that last game to get the record, but still 17 touchdowns for a running back, especially a running back who's not really supposed to be our starting running back. I feel like it's something that is just kind of un, uncalled for or unprecedented. 
in the NFL today. And, and I think that that was just like a huge thing for the Lions. So not only did they win on the field, they won in the record book. And you saw Jamal Williams crying after the game, dedicating the ball to his grandfather. Everything that kind of went into that game, how they played that game, I felt like was just a huge positive for the Lions. you agree? Yeah, I would agree. I think, you know, even though there's going to be that asterisk next to it, that it took him an extra game and he beat it by one touchdown and took that game to get there. Like you said, it's still impressive no matter what. I think going into the season, Jamal probably wasn't even looked at as the starter. And to come out of the season uh, breaking that record, I think that's a huge success, very impressive, and just great for Jamal Williams. I think he, right now, is my favorite guy on the Lions. I think he totally embodies everything that they stand for and their character, what uh, Dan Campbell tries to instill in his guys. I think he embodies all of that. And I think just this season, watching him get that, completely uh, rewarded that. Oh, for sure. He's just, he, he, like you said, just completely embodies the the Detroit Lions and the way Dan Campbell coaches. And always, everybody always says Dan Campbell embodies Detroit and Jamal Williams embodies Dan Campbell. So what does that mean for Jamal Williams? He embodies Detroit. Like, he's just a perfect running back. And and I think that in the offseason, they, they have to make him one of their top priorities to try and sign back on the, as his team. It, it was just really a sweet victory, especially because the potential of sending Aaron Rodgers off, you know, if, if he leaves Green Bay, if he retires, like the future is uncertain for him. And it seems like it's uncertain every single year. And then all of a sudden he just comes back to Green Bay, but almost like a Tom Brady type thing. But uh, just just ending that game and him, him after the game saying, oh, no, I'm not giving you this jersey. I'm going to hold on to this one. Like it was just really a sweet moment because we've just been kind of tormented by Aaron Rodgers oh, for yeah. the past past however many years and just kind of winning that game was huge but kind of talking about the other quarterback for the Lions what do you think about uh golf's future with the Lions you know I think it's you know definitely been debated you know with the Lions uh with that high pick they've got from the Rams do they go ahead go out there and take quarterback personally I wouldn't do that I'd stick with Jared Goff I think you know looking forward uh with how he performed this year I don't think that type of performance sustained over a year is deserved to be, you know, replaced by a rookie. I think how he performed this year, what he showed he can be uh, with the offense that they've got, I think you got to stick with him for at least another year. I think, you know, like with the potential, what he showed this year, I think he could be your guy, maybe not the long-term future, but at least a couple of years down the road. I agree. I think that this is uh, the performance Jared Goff had this year is enough to definitely not just enough, more than enough to to not let them draft a quarterback this year. And I think that's a positive for the Lions because I think that defense really needs a lot of work. And I think you got to go defensive first round, uh, both picks probably, unless you maybe take B. John Robinson with, but we'll get into draft stuff later. But I think that the way Goff performed this year proves that he can potentially be the quarterback of the future for the Lions, not necessarily long-term, long-term future, but maybe the next five years or so. Like if he performs the same he did this year, next year, I think you have to resign him. I don't think there's any question about it. I don't think you can try and get somebody else. I think Jared Goff is the the answer. You know, I think that the way he performed with the receivers, he's building a building a relationship with St. Brown and, and they're all kind of just gelling together. And I think that, that that's going to be a huge thing for the Lions down the stretch. I don't think that you really want to mess up anything that's going on here in Detroit because, as we've seen many times, the second you want to change something is when it kind of just all falls apart. 
as a Lions fan. And I feel like if if you want to mess with this, you're you're, you're kind of just messing with yourself. I feel like at, at the same time because. Jared Goff just really performed, honestly, at a maybe a top five level quarterback this year. Play action wise, like he's going to have to have a good running game to be successful just the way he he plays because he's just a play action heavy quarterback. But I think that that Goff is a guy that that could be the next the next quarterback of the Detroit Lions for the for the future. So now the season's over. Uh, let's do a little look back. What was your favorite Lions moment? Favorite Lions moment, I would probably have to say uh, Jamison Williams' first catchback with the Lions, that touchdown to him. I think, you know, a guy that you've been waiting all season wondering, you know, is he going to come back? What's he going to look like when he does come back? You know, is he going to be able to perform at that same high level that he did at uh, Alabama? Is he going to live up to that, you know, top pick in the draft? What are we going to actually get from him? And watching him come back, that very first catch of the line, you know, scoring right there. I think that was great to see really set the tone for the future for him. I, I think that that was definitely one of the better moments of the year. And just kind of highlight some other moments before I say my favorite moment, you, you got to remember the Penny, Penny Sewell uh, catch for the first down in the Vikings game, the, the Aiden Hutchinson performance against the commanders, that first game, he got his couple first couple sacks, his pick against the giants and his forced fumble. There, there's just been so many great, Lions moments this year. I think my favorite was probably that Brock Wright touchdown in the Jets game. The you had all motion going to the right side. Brock Wright kind of just just a little block and release to the left and just kind of runs into a touchdown. They they don't win that game without that touchdown. I don't think that's fourth down play. That that's that that's just a let him hang type call. It really is like he's just he's saying it's this is my call and ben johnson that's probably one of his better calls the whole entire year i think play calling wise and that was just a money play save that game for him they played disgusting the whole entire game you're like this is the grossest game i've ever watched and then all of a sudden that happens you're like you forget about the whole entire first part of the game because that happened yeah and you're just like you're I, I that was probably one of my favorite moments i think some other moments you would have to talk about is uh Kirby Joseph's three interceptions against Aaron Rodgers. I know they happened in two different games, but still three interceptions against Aaron Rodgers is, is awesome. And uh, that that pass on the fourth down to seal the game in week 18, yep. seal the game. And you saw Monroe St. Brown, you know, I don't know if you guys have been following, but uh, he did the little celebration back that. Uh, Was it Jair? Yeah, Jair Alexander. Yeah, uh, yep always does that little celebration. It's like sheathing a sword almost, kind of celebrating, sort of. It's something like that, yeah. And uh, Amon Ross St. Brown gave it right back to him when we beat him. And I think that was just kind of a sweet moment. Like, And that kind of just if, – if we win the North next year, I think that that game against the Packers is kind of that – that moment is going to be what Lions fans remember as the moment when the, the tide surge for the Lions. Because they haven't won the division in – Years. I, can't I don't. It's won the division last. yeah. I can't remember if they won it in fourteen. Definitely were wild card in sixteen. But it's it's been a very very long time since the Lions have won the division, and so it'll be praise if they do that moment. Talking about the playoffs, I guess a little bit more. Let's uh, just kind of go through real quickly because I know this is this is a Detroit centered podcast. Um, our our picks, maybe just a little quick thing on the game. Each game, if you want to do that. Sure. Okay, so first off, you got Seahawks 49ers. Yeah, we got Seahawks 49ers. 
Uh, Let's do it with the spreads here. So spread. make it a little so, entertaining so it's not just chalk. So San Francisco's getting nine. So Seahawks, uh, San Francisco's favored by nine points. Yes. Uh, me, I think the 49ers cover that game. I think they cover the spread. I think they go out and dominate against the Seahawks. I think there's been a lot of hype in, around Geno this season, how he's come out and performed, how, you know, they thought they were giving away the better quarterback in Russ this season. They made an improvement with Geno. But – I think the 49ers defense, I think their offense is loaded. Um, I think, you know, even with your guy, big uh, Brock Purdy, <laughs> I think him. <laughs> I love Brock Purdy, man. Brock Purdy's my guy. Brock Purdy's awesome. Uh, with him stepping into the offense, I think, you know, they're going to roll right over the uh, Seahawks, and I think they're just going to dominate them. I think you said it perfectly. I think this 49ers defense is way too much for Geno Smith and Kenneth Walker. And I think uh, my boy Brock Purdy has a has a monstrous game. Christian McCaffrey, look at uh, if you're going to bet, I would bet McCaffrey over any type of rushing total, total yard total you can get. I think he's going to have a big game. I think San Francisco covers. Let's see, Saturday we also have the Chargers and Jaguars. Uh, the spread is the Chargers by one and a half. What do you think of that one, man? I'm going to take the Chargers. I think the Chargers win this game. I don't think it's uh, close. I, I think this is probably the game that people are most excited for. And I know that saying it's not going to be close is kind of something that a lot of people aren't thinking. Uh, I'm a big Justin Herbert guy. I think he's he's going to ball out. I think the Jaguars kind of got lucky getting into the playoffs with the way the Titans have been playing lately. And and honestly, I think the Chargers deserve to be here more than the Jaguars do. And I think that shows out on uh, Saturday. What about you? Agreed. I think the Jaguars are, you know, hot right now. They've been on a bit of a streak, uh, but I don't think quite. I don't quite think they're on the same level as the Chargers and what uh, they can perform at. So I think it's just going to be too much for them. I think, you know, agreed. Chargers heavy on that game. Perfect. So then we got Dolphins Bills. These are going into the Sunday games. This one's going to be at one o'clock on CBS and Buffalo's favored by thirteen and a half. What do you make of that? Oh, some some of the note real quick. Just no Tua took a low on this game. Oh, it's true. I did not. Yeah hear that he was officially out for that um you know i think that game's in buffalo i think uh that spread might be a little big but with, i think especially without tua i think the bills could definitely cover that um i think i'm definitely going to pick the bills to win that game for sure especially without tua uh, but i think still you know with the offense that the dolphins have i think they'll still be able to put up a decent amount of points maybe uh, so I don't know if the Bills will quite cover the spread, but I definitely think the Bills are going to take that game. Cool. I'm, I'm taking the Bills to cover. I, I think that this Dolphins offense uh, without Tua and and potentially without um, Teddy Two Gloves, they, he's still questionable. They haven't really made an announcement on him. They said he's, he's on pace to play, but not necessarily. I think this Dolphins offense is going to struggle. And I think the Bills kind of just been turning it on their defense uh, towards the end of this year. Now you saw them play pretty well against the Patriots. Patriots ran the ball pretty well on them. So let's see if the Dolphins run the ball. But one thing that uh, they don't do very much is, is run the ball. So that's, that's going to be a problem uh, against this team. And I think Bills cover. I don't think it's relatively close at all. Let's see. Next up. Uh, Sunday at 4.30, uh, we've got Giants-Vikings. Uh, spread is Minnesota by three. What do you make of that game? This is a tough one. I think this is probably entertainment-wise might be the best game, in my opinion. It's going to be kind of a, a slugfest at times, but also I think there's potential for that game to just open up, like passing-wise. And there, there's a lot of potential for a lot of things in that game. I think that's kind of the biggest question mark game that I have going into the wild card weekend. 
I think I'm going to take the Giants just because they're getting uh, the three points. But I, I think I'm taking Vikings to win, Giants with the spread. Okay. Yeah, so I might have to disagree with you on that one. I think uh, if this was a primetime game, I think I'd uh, re- agree with you. I True. don't think, uh, you know, Kirk wouldn't be able to pull it off. But uh, I think, you know, a three-point spread, I think the Vikings are going to cover that. I think Primetime Kirby, they call him. Yeah, I think uh, – you know, they'll be able to sling the rock a little bit, and I think uh, they'll be able to get the offense going and cover that spread. Yeah, Vikings by three. All right. So our last game on Sunday, 8-15 on NBC, we got Cincinnati favored by nine points against the Ravens. What do you got about that? No Lamar in this game either. Yeah, no Lamar. Uh, I think let's see, Cincinnati by nine. Yep. I 100% think the Bengals are going to cover that spread. I think, uh, you know, the Ravens especially without the Lamar, their offense is going to be hurting. Uh, I think, you know, the Bengals are going to go out there and show out. Uh, I think I think it's going to be a good game to watch, but I think the Bengals are just going to have too much offense going, and I don't think uh, the Ravens without Lamar are going to be able to keep up. I agree. I think Bengals cover, and I think that one of my best bets in this game is, is Bengals-Ravens over 40.5 points. I think that, that – the Bengals could score 35 just by themselves, honestly, pretty easily. And I think the Ravens are going to score a little bit at least. So I think that uh, this is a game where the Bengals cover, and it's probably not going to be the most entertainment game if you're looking for a close game. But, you know, if you're looking for touchdowns, it might be a little more entertaining. Our last game, Monday, this is the only Monday night game, A15, the ABC, ESPN, all those. Uh, Dallas favored by two and a half against the Buccaneers is at Tampa Bay. What do you got? Uh, you know what? I'm actually going to take the Bucks in that game, uh, to, not only to cover, but also I think they're going to win that game. Um, I just, you know, can't bet against that guy down there. Can't bet against Brady. I think uh, the level of experience that that team has, uh, they've got a uh, – they're playing at home, I believe. Yep. yep. Uh, I don't think, you know, the – I think they're going to have more experience, and I think that's really going to show uh, Monday night against those Cowboys. Yeah, you say can't bet against Brady, but I'm about to do it. I'm taking <laughs> Cowboys with the points. I think that the Buccaneers are are trash, honestly. I don't think they're very good. I don't think they deserve to be in the playoffs. They are because they play in a terrible division. And, and these words could come back to bite me because, uh, as you normally see with Tom Brady in playoffs, he, it doesn't really matter what, what goes on, but he sort of performs. But I think this is a Buccaneers team that is just kind of bad around him. And I don't know if Tom Brady has enough with the terrible offensive line, uh, the running game not being very existent and never running the ball. He has some receivers to throw to, so he has some talent there. And But their defense, you know, it's okay. But I, I think the Cowboys I think the Cowboys win this game. And I think they cover the two and a half. But that's pretty much all we got here for you guys today. Thanks, Brett, for being with me. Thank you for having me. Uh, so yeah, we'll see you guys next time.